Welcome back to Cyanary Information Nexus, your podcast of sin. Uh, just, <laughs> I don't think we've been using that acronym very much. I don't think so, but <laughs> now's the perfect time to start. <laughs> uh, actually, it was really funny. I was uh, driving to work today, and um, I've, I've just moved to a new location, and so I was trying to figure out the, the best way to get here. And, uh, and so I, I went, you know, directions to Cyanary. And uh, and so uh, Siri said back directions to Cinnery, and I was like, "Where the Cinnery?" <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, it's like the instead of the forgery. We hey, make sense here. Who is that? Hmm? Did you hear that? Oh, it's our guest. Oh, Hunter Aishon. Yeah, you guys have heard his voice before. He's so recognizable. He's almost part of our uh, host staff. You know yeah. him. <laughs> you know him. You love him. He secures your networks if you're a client. Hunter Isham. Oh, and I guess if you're just joining in, uh, my name's Joseph Hamilton. Uh, and my name's Mario Ortiz. And as mentioned, I'm Hunter Isham, the guest today. Yep. And uh, today we have a fun episode. We're kind of continuing our conspiracy series. Uh, last time we came to you with the Ant Catalog from the NSA. Um, today uh, we're going back to WikiLeaks for another one, and uh, that's our uh, Vault 7 uh, from the CIA. Um, so we're, we're getting all the letter agencies in here. Eventually we'll find something from the FBI and uh, maybe the Department of Transportation. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> oh, man, yeah, the, the road buses. Dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but to give a little introductory information on um, Vault 7 today, Vault 7 was released in 2017. Um, a large amount of code, more than uh, what runs Facebook, was released from the CIA, more specifically their um, their version of the NSA, which is going to be the Center for Cyber Intelligence. Um, and so this Center for Cyber Intelligence branch of the CIA actually doesn't isn't very well known and because of that they really don't have very much accountability a lot of people don't know what they're doing um and so you'll see today that well the the agency knows what they're doing okay the, good the point other people don't know sorry the public the agency is doing the public doesn't know what this agency is doing <laughs> and that's uh, behind design. the scenes and you know without accountability we're going to see some of the um, masterpieces they were able to come up with and some of these weaponized malwares that really make you question their capabilities even today. So uh, the the main starting point I, I, w- I want to kind of look at is um, what do you guys find is the major difference between this and like the NSA, uh, uh, the Ant Catalog? Um, Let's see. Uh, the first thing I think the NSA Ant Catalog talked a lot more about um, the ability to replicate hardware and the ability to overtake the backbone of whatever they were working with, whether it was cell phone towers, entire networks, getting uh, taps onto those networks, um, and finding a lot of very odd hardware ways, odd hardware-based ways, like you're using radio frequencies and all these types of ways to exfiltrate data. So it's more attacking the infrastructure, the hardware, and this is more software, pseudo-logical side. Yes, I would agree a lot with that, that this looks to the actual malware of it and getting that out onto devices. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie. I was a little, just a little bit more impressed with the NSA Ant catalog. I kind of was too. Maybe it's because I've seen too many James Bond movies or whatever have you, but being able to uh, install a a physical key logger and then get that data through radio waves just seems a lot more impressive than a malware. Yeah, and we, uh, we'll get into it, but half of this just seems 
very familiar to to us. Well, as, um, as security professionals, I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> this, this this is true. Um, and uh, and we'll get into my whole uh, uh, chicken and egg um, uh, analogy here in a bit because I I think it's going to be very apt. Um, so uh, starting off then with year zero, um, which is uh, um, that's the part where they basically released like a teaser. The, it was it was a little bit of everything, kind of uh, an understanding of what was to come. Um, in fact, I think one of the big ones that that they uh, related at the time was uh, that Apple had uh, multiple uh, malware things, vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities that that were uh, part of this list. And um, and Apple came out and said, uh, "No, we don't. All those got patched. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing's wrong with that. Don't worry about it." Um, well, which is going to relate to the next thing they release, but <laughs> well, have, have you read their patch notes every time they release a new update? It's like a damn encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, yeah. If you read on down the fifth page is all about how they've defeated the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, whenever WikiLeaks released this, they, um, the password that they used, uh, was a John F. Kennedy quote. Um, Yeah. He said he wanted to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the wind. And so that kind of, it's a pretty dramatic statement, but I mean, the CIA, just everything they're doing is, you know, I, I guess it's for our benefit marginally, but, you know, at, at what cost? Yeah, and I mean, this brings to uh, to the foreground a lot of the same questions we have with the NSA Ant Catalog, um, which is was it okay to do this? <laughs> yeah, to you know, the, the ethical question, you yeah. know, the main question. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw it in uh, here uh, because we don't really have it as one of the segments. Um, but uh, we, in in the Vault 7, they had a, a, a release that was uh, specifically called Fine Dining. And it was about the fact that they could create menus for their, um, their operatives, the, yeah, their, their operatives, uh, in order for for them to kind of pick and choose what they would absolutely need for the mission at hand, right? And one of the menu um, uh, selection fields categories, if you will, uh, was about what target you were going after and what target you were going after. They could give you certain, you know, um, uh, equipment. Um, well, the targets were like foreign diplomat, um, you know, a foreign intelligence operative. Uh, um, state actor, blah, blah, blah. Um, oddly enough, there was never a reference to terrorists or uh, to organized crime or anything else. The other things that the CIA is supposed to be defending us against, it was no, it, it was pretty much only state actors. And uh, we did find out from uh, uh, multiple files on, on this that, that included places like uh, Germany and France and you know our allies that uh, that we were uh, spying on fairly heavily with with a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, we were also going after China and North Korea and, and Russia. You know the the, the normal uh, quote unquote baddies for the U.S. Uh, but uh, but I just I found that very interesting that uh, that everything is only geared towards the nation state, and never towards any of the other. Uh, bad actors that, that you would also think that they would want to protect us against. Oh, why would they protect us against them when they are them? Uh, we'll get into that one too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hold up. <laughs> Please don't hurt us. We know you're listening. 
All right. Um, I think that's enough for part one of uh, the series. So part two is uh, titled Dark Matter. So essentially this one um, is the CIA attempting to hack Apple's iPhones and Macs. Uh, This has been ongoing since uh, a little bit after their release and conception. Um, More specifically, uh, the malware that uh, the CIA created in this uh, instance is called the Sonic Screwdriver. And what this does is uses the uh, Thunderbolt interface to bypass Apple's password firmware protection. This one I thought was really cool. And uh, this goes right back to, you know, the whole Apple saying, oh, yeah, no, we're fine, we're fine. And the next thing they release is the dark matter thing, and it's like, no, you're you're not fine. (laughs) So I I do find that it is very interesting how much I've heard this in the past. Uh, And uh, please uh, hop in if you've ever heard this. So I've heard plenty of people argue and say, Apple cannot be hacked. It is impossible. I have Mm -hmm. never gotten a virus on my Mac. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that all too much, especially as of recently, considering uh, all the different things we've seen in this field. Uh, to think something this advanced happens, you know, it's not just click on a pop-up ad and then malware. This goes like f- way further beyond that, which oh, yeah, I think is super interesting. It yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's giving it physical access to the device, and I mean, bypassing the firmware. Now that is the only thing; it is requiring physical access. Uh, and we, we see that time and again with a lot of these. I mean, granted, there are clandestine operations, you know, so there's operatives involved. In the, and honestly, if you can get physical access to it, it's more likely that you're going to be able to get into the targeted machine. It's a little bit easier than it is just trying to get logical access through firewalls and whatever have you. Um, so, I mean, there is stuff to be, to be said there uh, for the benefit of being able to gain physical access and the fact that they have that ability because of their operatives and, and you know, spy uh, situation um, definitely a step above most of your average hackers and and, and pen testers whenever it comes to that. Um, another really interesting thing uh, that I think about very often in terms of you know taking uh, or the hardware approach to uh, attacking cables and that kind of stuff is uh, you know supply chain injection and that kind of stuff. You know you find a cheap enough you know supply chain that you can get into with your parts. All of a sudden you know if you buy a ten pack of Thunderbolt cables for dirt cheap. You know, I wonder why they're so dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a possibility that they're, you know, the, the malware is actually on those and, you know, hundreds of thousands of users at that point could have been, you know, being tested on this malware or being tested by this malware, I should say. And there's nothing they can really do because it bypasses the firmware, right? Yeah, it'd be extremely difficult to detect because it would be from the cable itself, not... Right. You know, something you get physical access to your device. You know, once you have physical access to a device, things get a lot easier. And that's something else that pretty much only a nation state actor is going to have access to. I mean, not wholly. The, we're definitely seeing more of this in in the wild as far as like, you know, organized crime and stuff like that, trying to attack vendor chain. But again, I feel like a lot of it is they're still trying to attack everything logically because that makes the most sense for criminal actors. The second you put yourself physically there, you up the risk quite a bit. Significantly. Um, and and so for, for criminal activity, it's easier to do it as far away as possible <laughs> and, and try to just obfuscate where you're coming from. Um, and with nation state actors, they have a little bit more... Um, I'm not going to say uh, it doesn't decrease the risk, but they have a little bit more of a risk appetite whenever it comes to that kind of stuff. They're, they're more willing to, to, to go for it. Um, but yeah, it, I, I definitely think that a lot of what you're talking about with um, Mac not being able to be uh, 
hacked or hacked vulnerable or, 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 or have malware or all that kind of stuff. I definitely think that's been put to rest over the last five years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope um, so. <laughs> but I feel like this came out whenever that was still a predominant theory that a lot of people had. They, they still felt very secure in their Apple products. Um, so, uh, but I mean, in the end, and that's what we try to tell everyone is it's not a question of whether you can be hacked. It's a question of when. Absolutely. You know, somehow, some way, someone's going to find a hole in your security. Um, now, hopefully it's someone that's a security professional that's trying to help you um, and, uh, and trying to make things easier on you. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is the hackers are the ones that are continually trying that stuff and they're going to find something eventually. So it doesn't matter who you are. You're you're vulnerable. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is just to add one one more point here is specifically Apple's take and how other manufacturers c- kind of follow suit. Uh, especially in this last update, uh, I think it was iOS 16, if I'm not mistaken, there was, a, it, I think it's called lockdown mode, is it not? Yeah. Uh, for iPhones, which it's a really interesting approach considering all how all the different um, phones have been hacked previously. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't that just cut off all foreign connections from the phone? Uh, not ex- exactly. It essentially disables a lot of additional features, stops messages from preloading. Um, you can't load any attachments or anything that could be maliciously used. Um, I believe it also utilizes sandbox technologies as well to um, open certain attachments that's required by the system um, to ensure that nothing malicious goes on. And those processes would be uh, monitored for any uh, leaks or data injection or anything like that to see if your phone is uh, being attacked by that. But that's Apple's defense against, um, I believe, the Pegasus malware that was released from Israel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a specific one. And Apple's been going more and more towards like containerization and, and all that other kind of stuff. So like whenever you open up an application in Apple, it actually doesn't use the system uh, operating level. It's containerized and it has its own uh, uh, permissions that it just cannot access the the root OS. So I mean, they they are they're they're fairly secure. I, I always tell people if you don't have if you have no knowledge of anything to do with computers, Apple's going to be just fine for you. The user interface is decently easy to to get into. I mean, you're going to have to learn a little bit, but it, once you get into it, you can use it pretty easily, and you never really have to worry about changing your security settings all that much. A little bit here and there. Um, now, if you know what you're doing get a PC is, is <laughs> you have a lot more control over what your environment looks like. And if you really know what you're doing, get a Linux and you have a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I think that it really depends on where the person is in technology and what they know as to what kind of security environment they're going to look at at the end, uh, whenever they they're operating their, their device. Um, let's go ahead and move on to part three. All right. Part three, marble, so Marbles uh, is going to be the CIA's malware that allows them to obfuscate, scramble, um, uh, and de-obfuscate any malware that they create. Uh, so this obfuscation allows them to trans- transform their programs into different languages, um, both programming languages and f- like actual languages. So, you know, instead of it being English, you know, it could all of a sudden be in Russian, mm-hmm. you know, things to make you question where this is coming from, who may have made it. You know, there's a lot of small things in code that tell you who made it and having the ability to change all those traits instantly mm-hmm. is almost devastating. Well, and like it's been positive before, um, 
you know, it could make it to where you could make it seem like it's coming from a different threat actor, um, which could possibly help uh, put people off your trail. Um, I do think a lot of this uh, obfuscation, whenever it comes to uh, uh, to the language, though, is about getting around um, your like IDS and, and that kind of stuff, your uh, uh, detection uh, methods, uh, antivirus. Um, so I, I liked what, what you said the other day, which is that they, they can use lesser known languages that are not going to be readily made into signatures. And so whenever the, um, uh, the regex or whatever is being applied, it's going to not find the signature it's looking for because it's using, uh, Polish, Polish was, I think, yeah. the, the example you use. Uh, but I mean, it, it could, it could be almost any of the, you know, 200 plus languages that are, that are like not, not readily known or, or, or used. Um, especially whenever it comes to programming, you know, they got big ones like, you know, Russia. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of programming out there in Russian and Chinese and, and Japanese and, and English. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I thought that was, that was very interesting being able to use a lesser known language, get around your, uh, your intrusion detection systems and, uh, and be able to get in. So, I mean, that, it is, it is very cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, Polish is just one of the many examples of uh, lesser known languages that uh, aren't being transcribed as well because there's just not as many uh, people who need the language um, just for the variety of reasons that it hasn't been developed so far. And then of course, if you're not looking at making it look like a single threat actor or whatever, you could also obfuscate to multiple different languages throughout the code. And so then if it's looking for necessarily a Russian signature and it's got a little bit of Russian, a little bit of Polish, a little bit of English, a little bit of Japanese, maybe it's less likely to detect that, detect, uh, detect it on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely very, very interesting. So take us into Grasshopper. All right. So Grasshopper is the CIA's framework, which is used to build customized and persistent malware payloads for uh, personal security products like... Uh, uh, Microsoft Defender, Symantec, Endpoint, Kaspersky, Avast. Uh, it's going to essentially just get around those in whatever way it can. And I mean, this this is something we see a lot today in the threat landscape anyways, is the second you figure out what kind of signatures are being used, you want to try to figure out a way around those signatures. Um, so, And this is one of the problems with signature-based detection anyways, is, uh, you know, Encryption, That's, like yeah. HTTPS, SSH, you know, <laughs> the things you can't see with those uh, detection products. Right. Those kind of connections, you know, while you can monitor the connection, you can't monitor what's actually inside of it. And that's where, you know, the disconnect grows, I should say. And even some of the heuristic ones, I mean, we're talking about, that. that's another thing is we're talking about five years ago and we're talking about a period, a time period from there of almost five years prior to that. Um, uh, cause it was like 2013 to 2016, roughly, uh, that, yeah. that these files are from. So, uh, you know, we're talking about really before AI started getting really integrated into, uh, into these, um, uh, security appliances, uh, or, uh, or programs. Um, we're talking about before we started going towards huge anomaly, uh, based or heuristic based detection, um, but even those detection methods, we've started seeing ways of getting around it. Um, I know whenever I was going through CompTIA's course, they were talking a lot about being able to 
uh, fragment packets, varying packets and stuff like that in order to get around those kind of uh, detection systems that are looking for uh, persistent connections, uh, that are looking for a certain uh, uh, amount of uh, bandwidth of traffic, you know, uh, those kind of uh, big spikes. So they sneak a packet in here and there, and they can get around those kind of detection systems. Um, so I'm sure some of it was also maybe around that, um, but this is almost predating whenever that became uh, a big part of, of the industry. But, I mean, this is par for the course for, for threat actors. This is what they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, that I find is very interesting about, you know, as we go through these tools is that uh, this is almost like a tool set. While some of these individual tools may seem kind of pointless, like just being able to bypass uh, any type of um, endpoint antivirus seems very basic. But, you know, being able to bypass that antivirus and, you know, you know deliver an extremely malicious payload is phenomenal mm -hmm. it's almost it's more along the lines of the combination of these tools combined is what truly is scary about them now i will say this much is basically what this is saying it doesn't say it in so many words but these are all zero days around these security appliances i mean they're, they're all things that could uh, be patched, no exactly could be changed so there is that other side of this is our government the cia had a bunch of ways to get around all the security appliances that were in the uh, in the threat landscape at the time, and uh, and they didn't tell no one. They were like, ah, they don't need to know about that. We'll just use it. It's fine. Remember, it was for our security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, zero, zero days are for our security. <laughs> um, well, I think that's enough about Grasshopper. Uh, so let's move on to part five, Hive. Um, so Hive is essentially how the CIA uh, communicates to its uh, C2 servers using what's called listening ports. Um, and so essentially they have a public facing, uh, pretty indiscriminate HTTPS page. Um, and then on the HTTPS page, um, I believe they have a special header that you, um, an optional header that you can fulfill. And based on that, the value pr you provide, you'd be transported to the back end C2 server. So it's like a C2 server and a C2 server. The first one being a little, looks okay, you know, looks like a legitimate website, but un unfortunately it links back to the malware page. I mean, personally, I, I love this. This is a really, really cool thing to me. I mean, how many times are we doing threat hunting and we see communication that's a little off, we don't quite understand it, and we go and we investigate the, um, the source, right? Well, if we went to investigate the source and it looks like a normal website, we can't find anything malicious with it. There's, there's just nothing here that seems wrong, and we just don't know about that header, then we'll never be able to figure out that there's something else sitting behind it uh, that that's actually doing all of the uh, um, all the attacks. I just it's it's a really cool way. It's not that far from using a proxy site though. That's essentially all it is. Yeah, um, but it is a very cool way of implementing a proxy site. Um, that uh, I, I'm sure it's been recreated now uh, by other uh, intelligence uh, communities or even threat actors. Um, but as far as like just the initial uh, concept, I, I find it very cool. <laughs> a door with two locks yeah yeah, yeah essentially i love it um all right part six weeping angel this one's going to be a fan favorite so the cia and the mi5 so not just the uh the united states this time um created an exploit for smart tvs that would uh 
enable the television's built-in microphones and uh, video cameras, if they are available, to record and send that data off to a remote site, even if the TV was off. Um, they actually, in within their exploit, they actually developed a fake off mode that would just turn the screen off and uh, continue providing power to it so that way it could record uh, and video if possible. Now, I do want to point out for those that are getting really scared about all their appliances sitting in the house, um, that this was using a USB stick. It was still targeted and still required physical access to the home. Granted, it's the CIA. It could be your uh, bug guy. It could be the cable guy. It could be so. So you still need to worry about everyone that steps foot into your house. But uh, <laughs> they do need physical access. Now, to to now make it very uneasy for you, um, this was just how the CIA opted to do it. Uh, there are threat actors that get into your IoT devices all the time because they're actually fairly insecure. Um, so, <laughs> namely, oh, yeah. namely cameras, please mm-hmm. add extra security to your cameras. Don't use Chinese-made cameras sometimes. And they just leave them open on the internet, default credentials. Um, yeah, if uh, if you're listening and you're not into uh, the security uh, world, um, do me a favor, go to Shodan and just look up cameras. The, the, they have a little um, a you, thing you on the Shodan like website that, uh, that, uh, that tells you how to do like uh, specific searches. Look for the cameras specifically. Uh, I think it's like screenshots. Um, and uh, you'll get to see how many open cameras are in your neighborhood that people just leave open to the internet. Um, so you, you know, you can go, I, I think there was one time where I was just watching a bar, just the bar bar was open and, uh, and the camera was, was there. Uh, so yeah, definitely Creeper. lock down your cameras, people. <laughs> That's not creepy at all. <laughs> um, and I, I think one of the more interesting things about weeping angels, their data exfiltration. Uh, so when you're setting up uh, weeping angel, you know, via the USB, what you'll do is you'll set up a, um, a designated Wi-Fi access point, um, that the TV would look for to send the data back to. And what that would look like is, you know, instead of the FBI van, you'd have the CIA van drive by your house. And with their Wi-Fi signal, find, you know, the TV would be able to find the SSID of your Wi-Fi because it's pointed that way or whatever, uh, or the malware tells it to. And then, you know, all they have to do is drive by and they get all that data. So, you know, government targets, state targets, all they had to do was just be somewhere nearby. And that was it. That I is insane. That. I, just the the number of times that it's just like drive by it. I guess the thing that gets me, is, <laughs> I guess the thing that gets me is how much of this does end up lending itself to exactly what Hollywood has made it. Of it's just a white van sitting on the street, <laughs> and inside are all these agents they, with their computers. They got computers. the big satellite pointed at the <laughs> yeah, house. The satellite pointed at the house and everything. <laughs> And, and we always get onto Hollywood for for making it unrealistic, and then we find stuff like this, and you're like, wait, <laughs> maybe it was a little closer than what we thought. <laughs> All right, so part seven, scribbles. All right, so this is an interesting one. Um, and so essentially, what this does is this allows um, the CIA to embed uh, web beacons into certain documents, likely classified, you know, secret documents. Um, and then once that document is opened, it will make an HTTP request out to a remote website to tell them that somebody opened it and from where, so they can keep track of who opened things where. This was to crack down on whistleblowers and leaks, and uh, then we have Vault 7, so it was... It, 
ineffective comes to mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that summarizes it. Yeah, so the ineffective part about it is the suite of applications it works on. Uh, so more specifically, uh, Microsoft Office Suite 2013 um, and any uh, Office versions 97 to 2016. Um, it will only work on those documents. So if you open it up in like Libre Office, you'll just see the watermark that says it's the CIA uh, tag and it won't actually execute. And you know, furthermore, these days, before anything can happen on a document, you have to enable editing. You know, these are security features and functions that you don't think about every day, but they stop things like this from happening. Mm -hmm. And so this seems kind of just like a big failure. Well, and, and it goes uh, also beyond that, if it's open in a protected view or if it's uh, uh, opened in editing, if they enable editing, it, it's disabled. So I just there's there's a number of different ways around this one. And some of it is because of the CIA was trying to leverage parts of the applications themselves that already were there. Um, and they didn't try to put something else on top of it, but I don't know how they would even do that anyways. If, like you said, if, if there's not macros there, just opening up a text document in, in, uh, uh, in a computer is not going to give you any way of really watermarking that in a way that's going to reach out and let someone know. Yeah. Um, Another thing too is that this, I mean, this was designed for government employees. And I imagine that when this was developed, um, this is what all government systems are using where these versions of office or this is what a high number of foreign governments were also using too because you got to remember this is a cia this isn't just them trying to hack us right. there's more than just us going on around here i would like to note too that uh i know especially nowadays right 2023 we got windows 11 out right but to think that this wasn't too far far out right the 2016 2013 no, it, it, was, it was fairly recent i mean this is not it's not the same, but it's not all that much removed from what we saw with like the Felina um, uh, uh, exploit that came up recently. Again, leveraging the macros uh, that uh, that's just part of the way Windows operates these uh, these applications. Um, you know, so it's it's very possible that the same procedure would work on Windows 11 with updated Office Suite, all of it. I mean, none of it really changed. <laughs> really. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all still there. It's a feature, guys. We love features. <laughs> all right. So moving on from part seven is part eight, Archimedes. And so Archimedes um, essentially is a man-in-the-middle attack generated by the CIA. Um, it's almost like an ARP spoof. Um to where they can just uh, forge the server response faster than the server can send it, uh, which is kind of crazy that they can do that. They just have the resources to, to do that. What was the example that uh, we server, showed last time? Uh, so for example, uh, you know, you type in youtube.com and the man in the middle uh, gets all that data, sends it to the remote server, um, or did we uh, did we compare this more likely? Um, what, what did we say this was more like? I don't think we said it was uh, server request forgery as much uh, as we no, said it was, uh, adversary in the middle. Yeah, adversary, adversary in the middle attacks, which has become uh, more popular with uh, trying to uh, capture sessions from multi-factor authentication. Yes, that's more specifically what this is targeting: is mm -hmm. those multi-factor sessions and such. Um, and now this was before uh, MFA really came online. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, way of b 
being able to capture the traffic. Um, this, so adversary in the middle is more concerned with just capturing those credentials. Um, I believe the way this is working is concerned with capturing all traffic um, to whatever website it is that they're trying to uh, to get them to go to or um, or or get information from. Um, I think another thing that, that we need to point out is that, again, this requires it to be on the local area network. So whereas an adversary in the middle uh, attack can be done uh, logically and remotely, um, this one does still require something to be set up on the network in order for it to work. Um, so, uh, But again, a little bit of a different time uh, and also a little bit of a different um, end result. They want to be able to capture all that traffic going to and from that website. Um, but uh, it's, it's, like you said, it's really cool that they're able to basically usurp that connection from the get-go and, and act as a man in the middle from there. And so uh, one really great application of this is, you know, uh, I, I know the most about our government, so I'll use them as an example all the time. But um, <laughs> so our government, in order to access uh, DOD resources, a lot of times they need to use smart card authentication. You know, smart card authentication, you have to, you, you know, you have to have the card in order to authenticate, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if they're in the middle of that connection, you actually don't need the card because the card only correlates to a private key. So, you know, you could actually intercept that private key that's being used to uh, generate that connection and replicate that. So, you know, these things that, you know, you think are fully secure, you know, if you get in the middle of them, you know, you're able to actually capture that uh, certificate or the private key being passed. Yeah. Um, that's going to kind of compromise some of our military operations or another nation's military operations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could definitely see this uh, being used in like a diplomat's office in order to get, grab their credentials, start getting into state secrets, all that other fun stuff. So yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, you see how this is, uh, this is being applied pretty quickly. Um, all right, mo moving on. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's so. get let's get after midnight and assassin. Um. All right. So moving on from part eight, Archimedes is part nine. After midnight and assassin. Um. And so after midnight is just a basic DLL thing. Um. And all this is going to do is uh, inject into a uh, benign DLL uh, connections to the uh, CIA's C two server. Um, and then from there, they're able to choose various modules um, and various uh, tasks to execute uh, for their remote purpose. So, you know, I these terms, they're, they're, I always find it interesting how they have like, these terms. After midnight, after midnight, it's almost got that kind of, you know, blue glow to the to the atmosphere it's almost like a, a kind of a cobalt blue and then assassins you know they kind of they kind of like just you know just strike things uh, oh yeah no this is very much like cobalt strike <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is basically cobalt strike before cobalt actually after cobalt strike i think we found out well it depends on when it was because i think cobalt strike came online in 2015 if i remember correctly yeah i think it was earlier than this um so uh uh, it depends on where in the documentation this was, whether it was closer to 2013, it might have predated Cobalt Strike, uh, or it might have postdated Cobalt Strike. Which brings me to the chicken and the egg. Which came first, 
the private entities making these kind of uh, things and then the CIA opting to uh, integrate them into, into their packages they give to their agents or the CIA making it and then someone in the intelligence security intelligence field finding it in the wild and going you know that's a pretty cool way of doing that maybe we'll we'll try to steal that a little bit (laughs) steal the idea i mean it's not it's not a bad idea you know dll injection you know and then setting up c2 servers for those you know dll connect or not the dll connections but the dlls to reach out to Mm -hmm. um i mean it's just a very easy way to make a targeted attack for a network. I mean, you, it, these those are just the resources you need when you're doing that kind of thing. You need to be able to load modules that are specialized for your target. I mean, that's just what you have to have if you want to succeed at that level. And that's and that's where a lot of this comes down to me is this is not far-fetched any of it. I mean, it is almost the logical step for what you would need in order to be able to circumvent defenses. I mean, and this is the same kind of development we see in today in just the general threat landscape, again, with, with criminal entities and with uh, even other nation-state actors. We're seeing the same thing. It's, it's the constant development and evolution of these techniques in order to try to circumvent uh, defenses. And a lot of it just comes down to logical steps. Um, so I, And in, in that particular way, this seems almost the the leak itself seems sensationalized. Um, it, it's just it is it is understandably maybe a moral gray area, especially with like the zero days and stuff like that. There are questions that maybe need to be asked about how it's implemented and how it's used. Um, but as far as what it is, this is par for the course, ladies and gentlemen. This is what they're up against. You know, at times, this almost seems like, uh, you know, they're fighting against other people who are also doing all this stuff. This would be the same actions that someone who's desperate and just trying to keep up with the threat landscape would also be doing. Like, it's just, it's not that far. It's not so far advanced and so far ahead that I feel like it's a big brother situation to where they control everything and they're able to like just keep everyone down. <laughs> this is they're they're trying to keep up is what this is. And what I do find extremely interesting, especially with some of the naming schemes of this, is just how this works because these names are so fitting for what this does. Uh, so starting with Assassin, especially if, uh, I hope no one's had to deal with ransomware before, but I know we've kind of messed around with it a little bit, and especially having that malware uh, inject itself in a Windows process, that by itself, uh, to me, it's fascinating because I know we, we messed around a little bit with the WannaCry mm-hmm. ransomware. and. Uh, you know, to the unsuspecting user, if Perfmons, right, or resource monitor, you know, wants uh, wants to access something, your initial thought is, oh, well, I've seen that before, or it's a Windows thing, right? I'm just going to click accept, and then you're encrypted, mm-hmm. right? So like an assassin, it's not detected, and then by the time you realize it, you're already gone. Right. And then the first part, after midnight, th- this one, uh, a little bit more easier to understand, but it was set to automatically uninstall itself off of the system at a specific time, right? So it could be at 2 a.m., right, after midnight when most uh, suspected users wouldn't be using that device or wouldn't be near it. And then by the time it's executed, it's ran, and when they come back, it's already gone without a trace. Mm -hmm. So just a little thing I thought was really interesting about that. 
Uh, so now we're on to part 10, which is going to be Athena and Hera. All right, so Athena is going to be the primary malware of this uh, pairing, and Athena is going to exploit the remote access service for Windows. Um, and then its counterpart, maybe not counterpart, its partner, Hera, um, works to poison the DNS cache service of Windows. Um, so through remote remote access, they can you know implant malware, do what they need, and then you know DNS hijacking, you know pointing it to the CIA servers or what, wherever they need to for poisoning the DNS. I mean, those two alone essentially set them up for a permanent C2 server. So are we thinking that they use this in order to basically, how would I put it, uh, commandeer a uh, another uh, state actor device? and basically claim it as their own. I mean, between the remote access and the DNS uh, uh, poisoning, like you said, it, it basically creates it into almost its own C2 server. You, you, you could do a number of different things with it, and it would look like that person did it. Yeah, I, I think you could put it like that. I, I think more specifically, uh, the ability to point the DNS wherever you'd like and being able to capture a lot of that information and where people are going and being able to collect that data itself is extremely integral because that information alone, you know, can provide very much information to the right people. You know, the, for example, you know, the CIA, they're using a large number of domains and IPs to mask their activity. You know, being able to understand the infrastructure behind it by maybe catching another threat actor and use like you pushing them to use your DNS. All of a sudden you can see all the DNS requests they're making and what that lines up to. Mm. You know, all of a sudden that that's a game changer. You can almost figure out exactly how a foreign entity's C2 servers are working or mm. if they are working however they are. Interesting. Another thing I find fun and interesting with this one is that uh, we again see the presence of uh, private security uh, mixing with our, our government uh, 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 nation state actors um, because uh, this was actually done in uh, or developed in uh, coordination with uh, siege technologies uh, at the time. Um, so it was... Uh, it was not just wholly the CIA doing this, but another um, uh, a private entity helping them out. Which, I mean, it's not that far removed from how we work with, like, defense contractors and stuff like that for, for like, our, you know, tanks and, and weapons and all that other kind of stuff. It's it's a private entity doing most of the work, and then the government comes in and, uh, and buys the product. Um, so I... You know, I, I'm definitely not bashing Siege Technologies here. They're doing their job. <laughs> <laughs> we hope. Yeah. Well, the CIA hopes, that's for sure. <laughs> we don't hope. All right, moving on to part 11, pandemic. All right. Dun, dun, dun. Unfortunately, this was earlier one. than our pandemic, so yeah. I don't think they're too correlated. <laughs> Unless there's another government conspiracy here that, you know, maybe they knew about. No. Uh. <laughs> um, all right. So this one essentially uh, exploits uh, the server message block protocol, um, and it lies on the host of the server message block. And what it does is it detects whenever uh, files are transferred out, 
and it replaces those transferred out files or copied out files with uh, files with malware injected into them. So, you know, you're at work, you go to your, maybe you have like a work resources shared folder um, that's on the network. You go and you pull down a document and for whatever reason, you know, all of a sudden you have ransomware. That's exactly what this is doing. You know, nobody thinks to, you know, compare the hashes of, you know, what's in your local area network, not local area network, uh, your local storage. Um, I guess I should say your remote storage um, to what you get, you know, when was the last time you grabbed something from, you know, your resources folder and you checked its hash, you compared those. Well, and that, and that's the other beauty of it. Even if you did that, even if you decided, okay, well, this is seeming suspicious. Let's actually look at what I downloaded right whenever things started going haywire. And you look at your, at your file hashes, you go, oh, those don't match. And then you go back to your file share and you look at it. Well, it didn't change anything on the file share. So you, uh, you wouldn't know that anything was wrong on the file share because it only changes it in transit. And so whenever you're trying to look for it, you, you would have problems trying to figure out exactly where the malware is coming from. Honestly, I think it's beautiful in that respect because y you go and you check the actual source of the malware, and unless you find the specific, um, uh, uh, what would this be, malware? Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you find the specific malware on there that's doing the changing in transit, actually watch the process of the file being transferred. If you just look at the files themselves, you go, okay, well, none of these files are changed. I don't have malware on this computer in that file that w that got transferred so this is clean i'll send it again <laughs> yeah the smb server is just it's such an illogical place to start for looking for malware you would think mm -hmm. about the files themselves that are in there right not the actual server itself doing something like it's it's on such a level that that's not where you'd start troubleshooting or anywhere near it I, I just in in that way I think it's it's beautiful. I think I think the amount of frustration this would cause like a systems administrator or someone actually trying to figure this out. I'm um, getting frustrated right now just thinking about it's it. It's a little it's a little <laughs> sadistic, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but but it's kind of fun to think of. Um they uh this this was definitely a fun one. I think this would work even in in today's uh standards. If you if this was on a, a file server, um I, I would go haywire trying to figure this out for a bit. Oh, absolutely. There, um, there's way know, too many places to start that aren't this. I'm asking Donald. I'm immediately asking Donald. He'll come and he'll go, oh, yeah, no, CIA did this. It's right here. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the edit suite. Hey Mario, what's up? We did it. Did what? We we have now reached the point where I have a two-parter. Did we really blab that much? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's like an hour and a half. Well, after I've cut it, we we actually spoke for probably a good hour and forty-five minutes. I mean, it's it's a lot. I can't even say it's all rel uh, like relevant. It's it's just a lot. Yeah, I mean. It's a government, so it's not really relevant anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, everyone. We have a two-parter for you this time. Uh, so uh, thank you for listening to part one of our Vault 7 um, episode in our Conspiracy Theories series is kind of what we've wow, got going to. Wow, a tongue twister yeah. right there, yeah. Conspiracy Theories series. <laughs> Say that one five times fast. 
Uh, so we had the Ant Catalog before. Now we have Vault 7 Part 1. And then coming up in the future is going to be Vault 7 Part 2. So stay tuned for that. Remember, you can catch us on Apple Music, uh, Fireside. Uh, we are also on Spotify and Amazon uh, Music. Uh, you can also find our blog at signary.com slash blog. And then in the future, we have YouTube uh, coming down the line. So you guys will eventually be able to see our ugly mugs and uh, enjoy whatever shenanigans we decide to put up there. Uh, thank you all for listening uh, yet again. And we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Soon. All right. I like it.